By all accounts, the Secret Service is an agency badly in need of reform. Dismal engagement scores in the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey prompted agency leadership to engage the National Academy of Public Administration. NAPA's panel has now concluded its work with a long list of recommendations and findings. Here with the highlights, panelist and longtime federal executive John Koskinen. John, good to have you on. Delighted to be here. And I feel like I've spoken to you over the past at least 25 years in a variety of federal positions that you've had. You don't get tired of this stuff, do you? <laughs> no, I call it my checkered employment career, and so there's been some variety, although a lot of it has been under stress. Well, this was something you could do objectively as a retired federal executive, so maybe it wasn't quite as stressful. But just give us a sense of what the big issues are with the Secret Service. They've been coming out in dribs and drabs over the years. Well, to uh, the great credit of the agency leadership, they reached out to NAPA to take a look at both their progress in responding to previous recommendations, including a 2016 NAPA report, but with a particular focus on employee engagement. They wanted us to take a look at the initiatives they'd already undertaken and then make recommendations for other actions they could take. Well, what are the basic problems with employee engagement? I mean, they get low scores, but there must be some underlying issues that cause that. And like anything, the more you get into it, the more uh, complicated it gets. But overall, the basic problem the service faces and the management's been trying to deal with is there just aren't enough employees. The nature of their work has gotten more complicated. They have the uh, protection operations for the president and various federal executives, as well as physical sites. But they also have financial crimes investigations. People have said it used to be just guys in their basement counterfeiting money, and now you're dealing with cybersecurity crimes and financial uh, shenanigans around the world. So they've had uh, historically a problem of keeping up just for the number of people, which means that the existing workforce gets stressed out over time. And so there's a higher attrition rate than they would like. But in the meantime, the work-life balance for a lot of the executives and employees is really not what it ought to be. And I suppose if you are having people famously protect the president and other high-level officials, you don't want burned-out or exhausted people doing that. Uh, no, that's right. It's a, a zero-failure operation. They've got to do everything that you would expect and then some. So you want both to retain the expertise that executives and employees develop over the years and train people properly. But again, as you know, what you don't want is people working uh, excessive overtime and long hours so that both their work-life balance uh, is not appropriate and then they also run some risk of just getting burned out, which is why the attrition rate is a problem. And how do these issues of insufficient staffing manifest themselves? People have to do double shifts or they have varied work weeks and they never know when they're going to be called in. How does that all play out? That's exactly what happens. They have less ability to control their private time. Sometimes, uh, you know, in some areas, uniform division, for instance, is averaging over 500 hours a year of overtime. Uh, that's more than 10 hours a week on top of their normal work week. And so it reflects itself in either extended duty on uh, the times they're on duty or coming in on days that they should have off. So they have fewer days off than uh, would otherwise be appropriate. And if you would, maybe just give us a brief sense of how the panel went about doing the research here. NAPA was retained at the end of uh, 2019. Uh, we had The panel had its first meeting with George Mulligan, the COO, and Susan Yarborough, the Human Resources Director, in February of 2020, which was a significant month because that was the start of the pandemic. So the challenge was to uh, conduct the interviews and the research 
in the middle of everybody trying to figure out who could go to work and who could not. The agency couldn't have been more cooperative and supportive of the effort. A lot of interviews, as we've all discovered, were conducted either by phone or over uh, telecommunication issues like Zoom. So in a lot of ways, other than there were fewer in-person uh, visits than uh, you know normally would take place, we felt in the research team uh, led by Daniel Ginsburg at Napa felt that they really had access to all the people and the information that they needed. But it was a little more challenging than normal since the bulk of this work was done during the pandemic. We're speaking with John Koskinen. He's former IRS commissioner and also a member of the National Academy of Public Administration panel that has been looking at the Secret Service. And what was your sense of the tone of the employees? That is to say, did they just want to quit and get out and the heck with it? Or did you sense that maybe they support the mission, wanted to be part of it, but really wanted things to get better? Well, this is a remarkable agency. It's a can-do agency. The employees are dedicated to the mission. They understand the significance and importance of it. You know, if you're protecting the White House or the president or a high-level government executives or foreign missions, you understand the seriousness of the work. And so as a general matter, we found, I think, that the employees are dedicated to the work. Or they actually like the agency And the challenge becomes, as we discussed earlier, that after a while they just get burned out. They're highly trained and desirable, so they can easily move to another law enforcement or protective service with a lot less pressure on them, both from the nature of the mission and the number of hours they're working. And how is it that staff shortages continue year after year, decade after decade, really, administration after administration, agency leader after agency leader. Anyone ever able to make the case to Congress that you need more funding to increase the staff? Well, you do make that case, and the Congress has increased the staff over time. Part of the challenge is that the nature of the work keeps expanding. There's a specific set of protectees by statute, but that keeps getting expanded because, you know, everybody who's a cabinet secretary or elsewise would be loved to say they have Secret Service protection. And so there's been a kind of mission creep by including more personnel or events than uh, historically. And every time you add someone, and you obviously increase the need for staffing. So the agency was not anxious to claim that uh, they ought to have some of those protectees cut back, because they really are anxious to please, and they love their work. But one of our recommendations was the agency and the Congress really have to take a look at, beyond the statutory requirements, Who are all these people getting protection, and are there other alternatives? You know, I had protection while I was at the IRS from our criminal investigation division, and most agencies have protective services available within their agency. So, you know, we thought that Secret Service protection ought to be limited to those who actually need it and who have a real threat protection that can't be met otherwise. And you never struck me as a guy who carries his own Sig Sauer in his jacket anyhow. But what were some of the other recommendations? Well, there are a series of uh, recommendations, some of them, you know, that apply in most organizations. Uh, Here, particularly, when you have the Uniform Division protecting uh, facilities, the White House, uh, the Vice President's residence, foreign missions, and you have agents who are traveling, protecting people, and the Investigative Division, you could create silos uh, over time and make it more difficult for an agent to move from one to another. So we suggested they take a look at that and try to figure out, particularly in hiring, whether they couldn't coordinate Uh, some of that more easily. I mean, the hiring challenge for the service is more difficult than virtually all other federal agencies because in addition to all of the background checks and securities, they do polygraph tests because, you know, (laughs) uh, the best time to uh, fire somebody is when you hire them. You want to make sure you're getting people you can trust and rely on. So it's a longer hiring process 
than usual, and so you need to make sure it's as efficient as possible. Also, with the silos, you want to make sure that people can move effectively and efficiently if they want to, to a different part of the agency rather than having to leave. When I was at the IRS, one of the great things that worked there was we went out of our way to ensure that if you were working with individual taxpayers and wanted to work with corporate or business taxpayers in another division, you could do that because the tendency in a division is usually to say, well, if you haven't been here for five years, you're not eligible for the next position. And you need to break down those barriers to the extent possible because then you develop more options in a career path for people and you're more likely to retain them. And retention is the best way to deal with staff problems uh, as you go forward. And did you find that the technology support and the equipment support and some of the physical infrastructure needed was adequate at the Secret Service? Well, they've made great progress. They really are focused on uh, technology. Everyone is. Uh, We had some specific recommendations as to how to ensure that it's operating effectively and particularly that information is easily shared, again, across various offices and across various divisions. But again, the um, agency is focused on it. We couldn't have had a more receptive group to our recommendations and our discussions along the way. So again, you have to remember, they reached out to Napa to have this study done. So they really are focused on trying to make the improvements necessary to ensure that uh, kind of the work-life balance, the quality of life of their employees is as good as it can be. So in summary, a balance of management and process reforms, and they need some funding also. Yeah, that's right. A lot of the things are, you know, one of the key things with employees is to listen to them and respond to, uh, uh, you know, what their concerns are, which is one of the great things about the employee viewpoint survey. You get real insights into whether people are having difficulty in one area or another, and what you can do is the management to respond to those concerns. But as the Secret Service is doing, uh, you've got to actually uh, pay attention to those results. And beyond that, just once you're getting a survey, you really have to find ways to encourage communication, uh, not only from the top down, but from the bottom up. John Koskinen is former IRS commissioner, among other things, and a National Academy of Public Administration panelist looking at the Secret Service. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Always a pleasure talking with you, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to the NAPA report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual 
uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. 
That's right. And and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Whether in person or remote, open communication with your doctor is key to managing any condition, including heart failure. How have you been feeling? Um, I'm okay. Both are great options to continue having open conversations with your doctor about how you're feeling. I've had less energy. And when you speak openly with your doctor, they're better equipped to help. Visit heartfailuretalks.com to learn more. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.